Well, good morning, Calvary Baptist Church. So glad to be with you here this morning. And I hope that you've been enjoying the weather as of late. And I know that uh, some of y'all are probably excited about the big game this afternoon. Hopefully you're preparing for that as well to enjoy that. But also let me warn you this Tuesday is also Valentine's Day, okay, a day of love as we like to celebrate. So if you're out there today getting some meat or something for the game, go ahead and grab yourself a box of chocolates, grab some flowers and be ready. Save yourself some time because you don't want to be that person that forgets, okay? And I know that's why my wife picked out this shirt specifically so that I wouldn't forget as I go out there and, and, and get ready for the game that I would remember that, uh, that I love her and to get her something as well. So just a free tip for you. You're welcome for that. I also just want to take a moment uh, to thank the band. I want to thank Karina specifically for stepping up, stepping into this role as she's led our worship team for, for three months now. Can we just honor her as she's taken uh, a great task? And we're thankful for her service, and we continue to just thank her for, for taking the team, and, and we're looking forward to seeing her continue to lead our team in a great way. Uh, what, a, what a powerful worship moment we had this morning. Uh, we've been in a series. My name is Pastor Eli, by the way. We've been in a series in the book of John, and it's been a great series. We've been invited to come and see all the new things that God is doing, asking ourselves, do we even want to see it? But also, also seeing that he works in the ordinary, that he, he works in the light, that we can see him as the light. And last week, Pastor David brought a powerful message, a powerful message about him seeing the unseen. And what a great story it was to, to hear about uh, just how Jesus saw this woman at the well and he saw more than everyone else could and how he revealed all to her everything that was going on in her life. But, but this morning I've been tasked to talk about his authority, that we can come and see his authority. And not only just how he sees the unseen, but how his authority impacts the unseen. Now, I like to say that I'm someone that doesn't care so much about authority for myself, that I'm not necessarily one that wants authority. Uh, but I just say that because honestly, those that know me very well, especially within our grow group community, um, especially within the context of playing board games, that is where I think my true desires of authority come out. Because you see, I'm very competitive and uh, our grow group members are also very competitive. But what frustrates me is sometimes we'll be playing a game and all of a sudden there's a rule that I had no idea existed. There's a rule that is created to where now they have an advantage and I start getting upset and I say, hold on. So then we all have to pause for the next hour and a half debating what the rule actually means. And then we end up saying, okay, well, whoever is hosting the game can call the last and final shot. But then I say, okay, that's fine. However, if we're in a public space like a Starbucks, it really doesn't belong to anybody then it should really belong to me because I brought the game, it's my game, so I should have the final say in how the rules go, right? I should have that ultimate authority, right? But that's just me, like, I mean, I'll be honest with you, like, I, I, I like authority, but only when I have it, to be honest, now that I'm being here and being transparent. But, but the thing about authority is, is that sometimes it does come with like a negative connotation or like you, you're not really enjoying the thought of being under something or under someone, authority is not necessarily something that we enjoy or treasure or see as a good thing, just maybe because of our past experiences, maybe because of the type of authority that we've been under. But I'm here to hopefully encourage you and share with you that, that the authority under Jesus is so amazing and so beautiful. That Jesus' authority is something that we can marvel at and say, oh my goodness, Lord, you are so unbelievably good in your authority. 
And that what you say and how it goes is so good because of who you are. That we can be confident when we submit to his authority and confident in, in seeing him work through his authority. Because his authority is so good for us. We read of a story in John chapter 5. If you follow me there, we're going to read a lot of, of scripture this morning, so be ready. Verses 1 through 21. It goes like this. It says, After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath and the law prohibits you from picking up your mat. Well, he replied, the man who made me well told me to pick up your mat and walk. Well, who is this man who told you pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went then and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So what happens? The Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus responded to them saying, my father is still working and I am working also. And this is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. You see, not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. But then Jesus replied with this, truly I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does those things. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing, and he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so the son also gives life to whom he wants. Powerful story, right? We see Jesus performing Another miracle, another sign here. Remember, all these things that John is, is writing about is, is trying to convey to us of who Jesus is and the power that he has. Right? He's trying to point us to, to how Jesus' authority is ultimate. And we see him performing this miracle on this man. And while that should be the biggest focus, while that should be the big whoa moment that we read in the story, it's tainted by some Jewish leaders. What ends up happening is Jesus upsets these Jewish leaders for this miracle that he had performed, specifically because he performed it on a day that Jewish leaders declared was not the right day for someone to get healed or for someone to work or for someone to do anything. You're supposed to rest on the Sabbath day. You don't do anything on the Sabbath. But the way that Jesus responds in verse 19 when he said that he can only do what the Father does is a great reminder and I think is one of the biggest points here in this whole passage that Jesus' authority is equal to the Father's authority. That he has the same power 
as the Father. In other words, Jesus, again, is claiming that he is God, that he sees what his Father is doing, and he does what the Father does. Everything, all the power that they worship from the God of the Old Testament is embodied in this human Jesus, also God, fully man, fully God. Jesus, that's who it is. And yet these Pharisees could not see it. While they saw it with their eyes, they could not see it within their own hearts. Why? Because they were so preoccupied with their own truth. They know what they know. They've read what they've read. They've studied what they've studied. And this is how it has to be. The problem is, is that they've added a few things along the way as they studied and as they've interpreted their scriptures And they said, well, this is probably what he means, so I'm going to add this, I'm going to add that, this is why, this is how it has to be. But Jesus says, truly I tell you. And when Jesus says truly, he's claiming something very important here. He's claiming that he not only has the truth, but that he is the truth, which meant that he had authority. There is no other truth than Jesus There is no other way than Jesus. And we read about that a few weeks ago in the story of Nicodemus, that Jesus is the only way to repent and believe in him. But even today, we see a world that continues to claim to have their own version of truth, regardless of all the evidence and the testimonies and the way that God has worked. They refuse to see it just like these Jewish leaders are so caught up in their own version of truth. The problem is, is there's no such thing as multiple truths. There's one truth that's objective, that's pure, that's righteous, and that is found in Jesus. We don't say that you're right and I'm right at the same time. Either we're both wrong or one of us is right, and that's Jesus. Every time, 24-7, Jesus is the truth. That's it. There is no other truth outside of him, regardless of what the world may want to say, regardless of what uh, this idea of everyone living happily ever after, that doesn't, that, that's not how it works. Jesus is concerned with holiness and righteousness and making sure that we follow the true way that is found in him and him alone. But just think for a second and put yourself in the position of these Jewish leaders, right? You've been studying your whole life. You've been reading scripture. You've been understanding it. And then all of a sudden, a 30-year-old carpenter comes up to you and says, oh, hey, everything you've studied, yeah, uh, everything you've added is wrong. I am the truth. Truly, I tell you that I have the same authority and the same power as the God, the Father. Right? Imagine that image, right? Forget all your Bible knowledge for a second and just put yourself in the shoes. You would understand why they would think that this man is crazy. But given the fact that he had performed already a miracle twice, Right, with the water into wine and now healing this man, also healing another, uh, the woman at the well in a specific way, right? Seeing that he's already done that, you would think, oh, they can submit to that and they they would believe, but they didn't, right? This was a 30 year old carpenter who claimed to have the same authority. Who in the world do they think he is? This peasant that comes from a place that is nobody. And I think that that is a reaction that is common with authority to begin with. Again, if I'm being honest, authority isn't something that's fun for us to partake in when we're under something, when we're under a specific authority. We have a natural resistance 
to authority. We don't like it. And I believe firmly that's because of a thing called sin. I believe that every person born is born with a sickness, a disease that is called sin. And this sin is something that continues to dwell in us until the point of completion when we're with our Father. Because our bodies rage war every single day between good and evil. There is a war that is happening between our flesh and our soul. Our flesh does not want us to submit to an authority that is righteous, which is found in Jesus, because Jesus' authority is righteous. It's the authority that cleanses us, that cleanses us, but instead our, our, our flesh wants us to submit to our desire, to our own authority, so that we can dwell within our own disease of sin. But here's the thing. We know that Jesus has already won the war, amen? We know that he's claimed the victory and we know how it ends. We know how the story ends that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord and everyone, whether we like it or not, will submit to the authority of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that is found in Jesus Christ. That is going to happen. But the question that we ask ourselves is which side will we be on when that happens? Because Jesus has the same authority as God. And if that's the case, then that means that he also has authority over man's authority. Because these Jewish leaders, again, are, are, are claiming to know it all, are claiming to know that this is the way, and are arguing with Jesus. But then listen to the way Jesus responds in verses 33 to 39. He says, you sent messengers to John, and he testified to the truth. I didn't receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You have not heard his voice at any time. You haven't even seen his form. You don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one that he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think that you have eternal life in them. And yet they testify about me. Everything that you know, that you read, is pointing to me is what Jesus is saying. These Jewish leaders were so preoccupied with their knowledge of scripture, that they could not see what God was doing right in front of them. All because of the Sabbath. That's all they cared about was the Sabbath. And don't get me wrong, we see in Isaiah 53 that the Sabbath is very important. It's, it was a day established for us to rest, but specifically, specifically to delight in. It was a day for us to rejoice and celebrate what God is doing, what he has done, that we could delight in that as we rested, they were supposed to delight in God, but they were blinded by tradition. And so they could not delight in the Lord that was right in front of them. They could not see how God was working right then and there. And notice how Jesus continues to tell them that, hey, you've poured over the scriptures. You know it like the, the back of the palm of your hand. You know it front and back. But yet you can't see that the scriptures are pointing to me. Everything is pointing to me. In John chapter 1, right, we read about the word that was God and the word becoming flesh. What does that mean? 
Well, Jesus was the word that became flesh and dwelled amongst us. What does that also mean? What it also means that the very scriptures that these Jewish leaders poured over is embodied in the person of Jesus. And they still could not see him for who he is. Think about that. It makes me wonder what I would have done or if our our grow group would have done if we were playing the board game and we started arguing and arguing about the rules again. And then all of a sudden comes, someone comes up to us and says, oh, hey, you're doing this whole board game wrong. Like you're, 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 you've missed the entire point. We're like, well, who is this person? And then this person says, oh, I'm the creator of the game. I wrote the game, just so you know. So I would know how it's supposed to be played. I would know what the rules are. I would know what I intended when I created this board game. So I don't know why you're arguing over these things, right? And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. The author of the scriptures, Jesus had come to fulfill the various things that they have read about and studied about themselves and they missed it. He is the fulfillment of all the promises that are in the Old Testament. But what do they do? They're adding things to the story that weren't intended to be added. I don't know why, maybe for power, maybe for success, maybe for status, but now Jesus is coming and saying, hey, you know I'm the author, right? You know like I've created all these things. This is not how it's meant to be. And I will show you how it's meant to be. He is the author. If he is God, that means that he is the author, which means that he's above Moses and John. And you have taken something that was written for, for the purpose of delighting in me, but you've added your own rules and traditions to the point where you now have no ability to delight in me. How sad that what was meant for good was taken by Jewish leaders and turned it into something so legalistic, something that misses the point that's rooted all in themselves and has nothing to do with the Lord. Let me ask you, have you delighted in the Lord this week? Have you seen him work? And have you delighted in his work? Have you delighted in his authority? Have you seen that his authority is good? Maybe we need to ask ourselves, what traditions are we keeping that are, you know, hindering us from abiding or, or delighting in the Lord? What, what have we done to where abiding in Jesus was just about keeping a checklist? If Jesus showed up today, would I tell him? I ask myself, would I tell him to stop doing something because it goes against tradition? Or would I be able to see that he is God and his authority is good? If he came up to me and said, hey, uh, we're no longer doing church on Sundays, we're going to do it Monday nights. And I said, oh, man, Mondays are really hard for me. I don't, I don't know. We usually do it on Sundays, Jesus. Oh, hey, uh, instead of communion Sunday morning, we're going to do it. We're going to do an all-day service, and we're going to have communion in the evening. Oh, that's not going to work for me. It's not how we do things here. Here we, we have a very strict 11 to 12 because we have three different gatherings. And how would I respond? What traditions are keeping us from seeing God do work and seeing the delight that we can have in him while he does this work? These Jewish leaders, if you think about it, if they had their way, and the sick man that was at the well or at the pool, I'm sorry, kept the tradition of not working on the Sabbath, I wonder what would have happened to him. I wonder if he would have made it. I wonder if he decided, okay, I'm just, I'm just gonna have to wait. I can't, I can't work today. 
I can't get healed today, so I'm just going to have to wait if he would even, you know, live again. But here is the beautiful thing about Jesus, is that he intervenes. He did not care that it was the Sabbath because he knew that these rules were not what the intention were behind the Sabbath in the first place. Which is another reminder for us, brothers and sisters, that the rules and traditions is an example of how we can never work towards healing. But that something, or in this case, someone had to come from the outside to save us. To save this man, to heal this man. No amount of work would suffice. Only the authority that lives in Jesus was able to heal this man. And if you think about it, these man-made tradition and rules of the Sabbath would keep a broken man broken. They would not allow this man to be healed because it was not the right day for him to be healed. But Jesus says, no, my father works on the Sabbath and so will I. And I choose whom I want to save, when I want to save them. In fact, my work leads to the true Sabbath rest that you claim to know so much about. That is what Jesus is saying. Because when he heals this man at the beginning of this, uh, of this chapter, think about it, 38 years, and I wonder, what else has he tried? What else has he done to try to heal himself, to try to cleanse himself of the disease that he has? Maybe he's trying now something that's not even a guarantee of going into this pool that's based off of just myth and legends, probably. The pool of Bethsaida was... Some, something that people believed where an angel would come and, and stir the water and whoever would step in first would then get healed. And this may or may not have happened. Some scholars suggested that this was specifically only once a year, maybe specifically after a festival, just like in this case. But nonetheless, people believed it. And so did this man. And that's why he went to this pool. But again, we see Jesus demonstrate his authority Again, claiming that he's the only way and the only truth, right? That this pool has nothing to do with anything. That all the power lies in him. How does he do that? By healing him and speaking it into existence. And that can give us joy and hope because we know that Jesus has authority over our circumstances. In any situation or any circumstance that you find yourself in, he has authority over it. Maybe you've been seeking other things in order to try and make your life better. You hear or see the next fad that is supposed to make your life better. You heal, that is supposed to heal you from your pain. Maybe you forget the world about it for a second, but in reality, none of that compares to the power-saving blood that is found in Jesus, in Jesus alone. Because notice how he healed this man. He didn't tell him, he didn't help him up and walk him to the pool. He simply commanded him to get up and was healed instantly. He speaks healing into existence. What does that mean? That Jesus' words are enough. That he spoke things into existence which gives him authority over the earth. He was there when he said, let there be light. He was there when he created the land and the seas and the animals. When he spoke that into existence, which means he has authority over the earth. But guess what? He also spoke into existence. You. He created you. He said your name, spoke your name before there was even a thought of you. He spoke it into existence, which means that he has authority over you. Same God that has authority over the world and over mankind is the same God that is calling your name and knows you by name. His words are powerful. 
when he speaks, things happened. He spoke this man to be healed, and it happened. He didn't need a pool. He didn't need it. He just said, get up. The authority that he has over the circumstance, regardless of where we think we are. I mean, look at what Matthew says in chapter 6. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Don't you know that you have value not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done, because he has given you life. The value comes from him, doesn't come from your work or effort. Don't you know that you have value in the eyes of the creator of the world? That you're his favorite creation? That he came and died for his creation? Don't you know that? And if you do know that, then let me ask you, do you want to be healed? Do you want to walk again? Do you want to live again? What pool have you been waiting at your whole life? How many years have you been waiting at the pool seeking things from outside in the world that will never fully satisfy you or redeem you or save you? What things have you been searching for when right in front of you this whole time I've been here calling your name and waiting for you to respond to the sacrifice that I've given for you? And here's what's, what's really cool. Notice what happens after the fact that Jesus heals this man. Where does he find him? Where does he find him? He finds him in the temple. This man gets up and walks, and then he goes to the temple. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, oh, you're looking, you're looking pretty good. Hey, you, you, you seem very well. How about this? Now that I've made you well, and you see the power that I have in me and the authority I have over your circumstance, go and sin no more. Go and live out the life that I've called you to live. You see, Jesus not only has authority over our circumstances, but he has the authority to tell you what to do with this new life that he's given you. He had told this man, I have given you new life, but not just to have it, but to go and fulfill the plans that I have for you. Go and sin no more. When Jesus dies on the cross with his last breath, and he says it is finished. It marks not only the end of an old life, but it marks the beginning of a new life. It doesn't just end there. It starts there. It starts with a new life where we can walk and live out the purpose that he has planted for us in obedience. Look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28. It says, all authority, that's how it starts with. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Everywhere authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. How will you respond to the saving work of Christ? Will you not only see that the old life is gone, but walk in the new life that he has given? He not only has authority over your past, but he has authority over your future. He's all in every day. And we need to ask ourselves, will we submit to that authority? Will we go? First and foremost, will we, will we even be willing to be a disciple? Or do we say, hey, thanks. Um, thanks for saving me, making me well, but I'm out of here. Because that's not how it works. He has authority over your whole life, not just part of it. If he commands us to go, then we are called to go. But then he tells us to go to the nations. Maybe 
That's your next door neighbor. I have a neighbor who's from India. I have another neighbor from the Philippines, right? Your mission field is where you are. Are you willing to go to them? Are you willing to baptize people? Are you willing to teach them everything that we have learned in scripture that Jesus has commanded us to learn and follow? Are you willing to teach them that? Are you willing to give Jesus authority over your relationships, over your marriage? Will you give him authority over your finances? Will you give him authority over your career? Will you give him authority over your children? Will you give him authority over your life? Every single part of it, not just some of it. Because Jesus wants all of you, not just part of you. His sacrifice was so much for just a part of you. He wants all of you. That is the type of authority that Jesus has and commands us to submit to. Will we submit to authority? Because in all reality, Jesus has the ultimate authority, but because that also results in the ultimate rest and delight in him. We're invited to come and see how Jesus can give the true Sabbath through his authority. That's what we're invited to see. Can we see the goodness, the righteousness of God's authority in Jesus? That is the question. Will we delight in him? Will we continue to see him work and not miss it? Will we not be blinded by our traditions and our rules? And we submit to every part of our lives to him. Maybe you're the person who's never had an encounter with Jesus. Maybe you're the person at the pool who's been waiting for 38 years, maybe longer, chasing other things, chasing other ideas, right? Thinking that that's what's gonna make you better. And Jesus is calling you right now saying, no, I have, I have the, the water where you'll never thirst from again. I have the living water for you. I can change your life. I will give you life actually because right now you're dead. Jesus didn't come to make your life better. He came to give you life in the first place. That's what he's done. Maybe you're someone that has already believed and repented and has received Jesus as your savior, but maybe it's time to receive him as your Lord. Maybe it's time to submit to his authority in every area of your life. Maybe it's time to delight in him and in his authority as well. And wherever you are, though, you're invited to respond to the call that he has for you this morning. We're going to have the altars open. We have pastors here that can pray for you as well. I invite you to pray with someone next to you. But as you pray, may you seek his authority. May you ask him, ask the spirit to intervene and that it would bring new lights, new vision to where we can see the beauty and the righteousness in his authority. Because it's so good for us, friends. It's so good for us. We don't need to be afraid of his authority. We don't need to be afraid that he'll abuse his authority. He can only do good. He can only do good because he is good. He is an embodiment of what good is. Let me pray for us. Father, we just thank you so much for reminding us this morning that we don't have to be afraid of your authority, that while our flesh does not want us to submit to your authority, that we can trust in you because you've already won the battle, you've already won the war. May we see your authority 
as good because you are good. May we see, Lord, the plans that you have for us. May we walk out in the life that you've purposed for us. May we continue to just abide in your word. May we be convicted of the rules and traditions that have kept us from abiding in you, that has kept us from loving people, that has created barriers for people. Lord, we repent of those, of those barriers. We repent of those rules and we just seek and ask you, Lord, to be the ultimate authority over everything because that's who you are. May we submit to you, Jesus, and may we just continue to walk in your light and in your authority. It's your name that we pray and we all said, amen.